I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Oh, boy. He always seems to get involved, doesn't he? I'm telling you, too many coconuts have hit him right on top of the skull. I think uh, Anthony will be a great acquisition. He can do it all. Avery, whose show is this? And we're live. Welcome, everybody, here to the Lakers Lounge. I'm Anthony Irwin, uh, joined today by you guys. This is a happy hour episode, which means later in the episode, I will be answering questions that I feel that both from... Twitter. I'll probably get some in the comments here. So we're going to try to get to those, all of them, or as many of them as I possibly can here at the end of the show. The best way, though, to get your questions answered, uh, obviously, is still to put them in the uh, form of a five-star review on iTunes. Uh, You can do that, obviously, on iTunes. And uh, once I see those, I will uh, obviously get to those questions with they have the top priority. And I'm looking at that uh, mailbag right now as it exists, if I can. Um, And uh, the the plan there will be to try to uh, answer those uh, when when I see those as well. So uh, today, though, there are a few topics that we have to hit on before we get to those questions. Obviously, we have some new information on Darvin Ham. Uh, both from uh, further reporting and uh, from the conversations I have had. Um, most notably, Sam Amick of The Athletic is reporting that a high-ranking official with the Lakers has said that Ham is no is, is in no, uh, apparently no immediate danger of losing his job. Doesn't necessarily surprise me, right? We've been saying a lot of that same stuff. Um, and then, like I said, we'll get to those questions. So, Let's start, though, with the latest on Darvin Ham. And over the last 24 hours or so, in having some conversations with uh, people 
you know, in, in and around the league, either closer to the Lakers or, or kind of more league-wide sources, the people that I've spoken to have all pretty much, the consensus is that like, yeah, this stuff is real. There is real pressure that Ham is feeling. This is the first, by the way, this is me uh, saying this, but this is the first time that Ham has felt this amount of pressure. Like I said yesterday, I, I, I've started doing some production stuff and I, uh, you know, Trista Crick is somebody whose show I'm, I'm now producing. Uh, she does the heat check uh, also on Odyssey. But uh, we, I, I recorded a quick segment with her yesterday and said that, you know, previously when Darvin Ham or when the Lakers were going through any kind of adversity before, it was because Russell Westbrook was still there. And it was Russ's fault that they were going through adversity. This time, though, it's Ham's fault that they are going through this adversity. So this is the very first time he personally is feeling the heat. So how he responds to this, it's going to be really interesting to watch. Um, but yeah, when I was in, in talking to some people uh, about this situation, it, it basically all comes down to January. The Lakers have a very fair, favorable schedule, a lot of home games, a lot of games against some lesser opponents. The Lakers need to rack up some wins here in order to save I don't know if I would go so far as to say that saved Darwin's job because again, I don't I agree with Sam that I don't think the Lakers are are looking to fire Darvin Ham. So it's not like they, they can save, but they can certainly like if they don't win enough, and especially this weekend, I guess, if they don't win enough, that heat is gonna keep rising, that temperature is gonna keep growing, or that pressure is gonna keep growing. And eventually it's going to come to a breaking point. And that is where, you know, things start getting real. So January is, I'm told, going to basically decide Darvin Ham's fate, at least for now. And, and we'll see kind of what that looks like uh, moving forward. And, and look, it makes sense. And, you know, there are going to be some people who are going to ask, well, if you're the Lakers, why not just lose if you can get rid of this guy? Clearly he isn't very popular. The Lakers can't afford to lose. You know, the, the going into the season, the whole point was to avoid digging yourself a hole uh, in order to to not have to try to climb out of it in the second half of the season. Remember how exhausted the Lakers looked in that playoff run? Certainly, by the time that playoff run ended, they were wiped. They had played basically three months of high pressure basketball. And by the time they got to the end of it, yeah, look, I'm not saying that this is why they lost to the Denver Nuggets. Denver was clearly better, is still clearly better. But by the time that series ended, those guys were wiped, absolutely exhausted. And they wanted to, this season, one of their kind of internal goals was to avoid that happening again. And, uh, you know, the, in, in order to do that, you uh, needed to take care of business earlier on. That's why as they sit at below 500, that's why you have the amount of pressure on Darwin as it currently exists. So yeah, I'm, I'm just, by the way, I'm scrolling down here to get to uh, all of the questions from Twitter. All right, but, but yeah, that, that is the latest that I have personally heard uh, on Darwin that has been also reported by other people as well. So it's not like this is exclusive information. It's pretty clear out there. Right. It, it just like it has been all season in terms of the issues and the internal strife within the uh the the the, the situation here. Um here we go, finally. 
but the uh all all to this point the it's been pretty clear that there is annoyance in the locker room with darvin just like right now it is pretty clear that there is pressure that darvin is feeling and it's like i've said all along when i've reported stuff it shouldn't come as any kind of a surprise you know when i said that austin reeves was a little annoyed with the uh with the role fluctuation that he's experienced anybody would be right when i said it was kind of weird that darvin ham there are people who wonder What's going on there between Austin Reeves or Darwin specifically and Austin Reeves? Of course, people are wondering that. Austin was just starting on a Western Conference Finals team last year, and now all of a sudden, it took heaven and earth to be moved for him to get off of the the uh, off of the bench and start in their last game. So, uh, in this case, a lot of the, the the reporting makes a whole bunch of sense. Um, I would imagine, and I'm not here. I'm not. I'm not claiming to know sam's sourcing here Uh, i'm not in that business but when we talk about like high-ranking officials here we know Jeannie personally has said that she doesn't like just you know going coach to coach to coach to coach to coach uh it's 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 not great for the organization it's not a great look for the organization and also it gets expensive like she's (laughs) She's signing the check. She doesn't want to have to keep on signing checks to people to not work. So uh, I, I, it doesn't necessarily, it didn't necessarily surprise me uh, about, uh, you know, finding out that Darwin isn't in immediate danger. What did kind of surprise me, though, was some reporting apparently from Dave McMenamin of, of ESPN that apparently when Darwin has been going through all of these lineups, he had been talking to uh, LeBron and uh, AD about those lineups and about some of those changes. And it's not that it surprised me uh, because like they're the superstars, like they should be talked to, they should consult uh, the, 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 the head coach, especially an experienced and inexperienced head coach as Darvin Ham is, of course, like they are going to their, their input is going to matter, but it, it did kind of surprise me the timing of it all because you would have thought that something like that would have come out earlier uh, as frustrations mounted about Darwin and the job that he'd been doing and the kind of jumping from identity to identity to identity, the fluctuating lineups, the fluctuating roles for role players. Um, and and so like the timing of it struck me as kind of interesting. And I, again, not saying that it isn't true. It doesn't surprise me at all, but the timing was was kind of interesting to me. And, you know, it's the kind of thing that like if you're if you're Darwin or somebody close to Darwin there, that's what you want out there, right? And I don't know if I would necessarily want it out there if I were LeBron, because I wouldn't want anything to do with these uh coaching decisions. But but yeah, it was it all like basically what we've started to see here is is kind of the public positioning um from various entities who have a lot on the line here, right? Darwin, if you go from Western Conference Finals run like if you go on the run that he has last year you would think that you're a made man for the for the foreseeable future and to go from that to now losing the locker room in a matter of months that doesn't look great on your resume so obviously there's going to be a a a a, an amount of damage control done there as well uh it's just you know all of this public posturing as they're trying to kind of turn their season back around 
it does become a bit of a distraction. So I'm really kind of curious how everybody handles all of this. You know, and that kind of brings me to my final point. And it's a point that I raised at the end of yesterday's show with Aaron in that if I'm Darwin and if I'm the Lakers, by the way, and, and the Lakers, so anytime something kind of leaks about the Lakers, they start looking for the source of the leak. That's like, they aren't unique in this regard. Any, any uh, larger entity does that and any basically entity if if i found out <laughs> uh some stuff or decisions that i was making i would start wondering all right like who's talking about like my career you know um so it's not like i said it's not unique that they would that they would respond that way but in this case it is so much sourcing and it's such specific sort uh, such specific leaks here that if i were the lakers i would actually be kind of happy that this came out about darvin because it allows everybody to kind of address it. Hopefully, as adults, they can all kind of stand on even footing here, and they can and they can talk, you know, in, a, as a locker room and as an organization, and try to figure out how to move forward. Because had they not, like that situation was so is I, I don't know um, how well it's been addressed to this point, but it was so toxic that. It's kind of like the situation that we see with um, Jonathan Kaminga and the Golden State Warriors, where he feels so uh, he feels like he isn't heard enough, and he immediately starts ranting to reporters. Right in this case, Shams Karania reports that he he has lost faith in or J Jonathan Kaminga. I don't know how Shams feels about Kerr, but Jonathan Kaminga he's apparently lost faith in in Steve Kerr's ability to coach him and get him to where he needs to be in at this stage of his career. And, you know, that, again, I to me, when I see that, it speaks to me more about the head coach than it does about the young player. Because the young player is going to act brashly. The young player is going to lash out. The young player is going to get frustrated. And by the way, I, if I were a Warriors fan, I'd be happy that Jonathan Kaminga is pissed. He should be pissed. What happened last night in that in that Denver game with the Warriors was terrible. He sits the final 18 minutes after he thoroughly outplayed Andrew Wiggins and at, or eight, eight minutes as the 18-point lead just kind of goes by the wayside and the Warriors eventually lose. If Kaminga wasn't angry after that, I would have a problem with Jonathan Kaminga. And, and the problem to me, though, is that Kaminga doesn't feel heard in that locker room and therefore feels the need to go and talk to reporters about it, right? And leak to reporters about that situation. And that's essentially where the Lakers have been all season and where that core six from last last year um, has, has felt all season, where they're kind of saying, what the hell is going on? And eventually they don't feel heard by the head coach, by the coaching staff, and or with the, the, the head coach and with, with, the head, uh, with the coaching staff, and guess what they're going to start doing? They're going to talk to their to their inner circle. And the inner circle is going to relay some of the information out to reporters. And that's how you arrive at the, the stuff that I have been reporting all season. And finally, that's how you arrive at a piece like The Athletic wrote that you know took like months to fully source. So like this stuff, none of this is, is particularly new. And, and none of this is particularly surprising. It's kind of like Austin Reeves said after the last game. Of course the vibes are shitty. We're losing, right? Of course the vibes are shitty. We're all frustrated. <laughs> uh, and I think it's, it, in, to a certain extent, 
Now, you don't want it to get so toxic that it is it, it, it becomes impossible to overcome. And if it does reach that point, maybe it already has, but if it does reach that point, that's when this needs to be addressed by the front office and by ownership to make whatever changes that need to be made to save this season. But uh, as it stands right now, the front office, I'm told, doesn't think it's there. They do think that Darwin can turn this around. They were very impressed, uh, and the organization at large was very impressed by the way that he handled the Russell Westbrook situation last year, which, by the way, felt a lot more toxic than this does right now. Uh, so, you know, take that for what you will. But the front office feels as if he can turn this around, given his experience turning that around, and, and we'll see. You know, the big difference there is that he isn't the source of the frustration um, or wasn't the source of the frustration last year, he is now. And so uh, Darvin, just as many head coaches seem to be, is a very stubborn guy. He's a very proud guy. And is he going to be willing to, to, to swallow that pride and, and try to work with the team to get through this? I don't know. Whether he is going to, it, it, you know, that, that essentially is going to define, I think, whether this thing gets turned around. And uh, we'll we'll see what that kind of looks like. All right. Let's go ahead and, and get to some of these questions here. Uh, the first one I received, I'm going in the order that I received them. Uh, let's see. Clayton DeMarcus or something? DeMarci writes, uh, one, is this season causing trauma on you for being optimistic? Are you going to be able to uh, start a season optimistic again? Second, do you have a realistic trade to make the Lakers a top contender? I can't see one. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'll answer the first one. I'm going to be honest, I'm a Vikings fan. And so every time I feel any kind of happy about any of my team, I'm always kind of looking around the corner like, mm. <laughs> is Blair Walsh going to like break into my living room and kick me in the nuts? Is... <laughs> Uh, but but is Brett Favre going to throw an interception to my wife's New Orleans Saints en route to their Super Bowl? 
Um, so that's what I'm always, that's why I'm always kind of, uh, nervous about my optimism. The other thing too, is that like, this isn't also the very first time that my optimism wound up blowing up in my face. That team, uh, coming off of the title year when they traded for Dennis Schroeder and Alex Caruso was still on the team and they brought in Marcus Gasol. Like I loved that roster. I loved it. No, unfortunately, Marcus Saul got sick, and then they brought in Andre Drummond and promised him a starting gig. And then when, when they traded for Dennis Schroeder, they, they promised him a starting gig. And I thought that was a role that didn't necessarily fit for him. Been proven right on that on that front. And it was just like a whole bunch of things outside of just the basketball that led to that team underperforming. Um, so anytime basically I get a little, I, I get excited. It's not just me. Like if I'm in, in, you know, when I used to, when, when I would be in the, uh, silver skin and roll slack or in the, you know, we have a Lakers lounge slack. If I start to get a little like too excited, the, 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 the people around me make sure to say like, all right, you need to find something wrong because it's always blows up in your face. So to answer that question, maybe I should just never be optimistic again. Um, the second question here, do you have a realistic trade to make the Lakers a top contender? Here's how I'll put it. I, I don't think that the Lakers are looking to make any kind of a big change to their organization until this stuff, like until they find out some kind of outcome on all of this stuff right whether it's darvin ham isn't the man for the job whether it's uh you, you know d'angelo russell's situation um and 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 whatever but like the the lakers from what i've been told want to like see this all look what it's going to look like now it's tough to do that right because gay vincent isn't do isn't due to return until after the trade deadline so that already is kind of a a, a speed bump or a roadblock to that plan. But, you know, just for just to fill you in, um, I don't think the Lakers are, are looking, uh, actively looking to to make a, a big change, right? Zach Levine, right, is basically what I'm saying here. Now, in terms of a realistic trade that I would make, that would make them a top contender, it just depends, like, it depends on how you feel about Denver and it depends on how you feel about Boston, you know, and, and um, can the Lakers catch a Denver team? It looks pretty damn good, you know, and, and that starting five that Denver has to me is the best five man group in the league. Um, I know the Boston statistically has a better five man group. I don't care. That team is, is title proven. And in my mind, that is worth way more than any amounts of stats right now. Uh, so like, can the Lakers put together like a five man lineup that can contend with that? Realistically, I don't necessarily see it because the Lakers only have one first round pick that they can essentially move this year. Now they could get kind of creative and they could lift some protections that might get them a little bit more flexibility with their pick situation. But if you only have one pick at your disposal, and you don't have very much in terms of, uh, you know, expiring contract money, it makes it kind of tough to really, you know, Im impact your roster in a way that gets you up there to that kind of contender. 
So it is going to have to come internally. And that, by the way, is what I said all summer when I, when I was worried that the Lakers didn't have enough asset or uh, financial flexibility because they hard capped themselves because it looks like they are trying to get under that luxury tax number to reset their, their repeater tax. Um, it didn't, it looked to me like they were trying to optimize this roster going into the season and, and, uh, and sacrificed flexibility in order to do so. And this is kind of the situation that you have to find yourself in. So it is going to have to come internally. It's going to have to come from coaching, figuring their shit out. It's going to have to come from guys just knocking down more shots and just playing better within their roles. Once they find roles that make more sense for them. Um, Next question here. Uh, also, I guess Clayton says also to mention your name is getting bigger and bigger in the NBA community here in Brazil, specifically among Laker fans. You're always quoted to mentioned, I guess, also because of identi identification with your style. I appreciate that. That is always really cool to me. It always blows me away that like, hey, this is so-and-so tuning in from Germany or the Philippines or Argentina, or in this case, Brazil. That is that is really, really cool. Um, all right, next question comes from KR. Uh, KR Swish, one, how did your fam fantasy football season go? Uh, I lost in the finals. That's all you guys need to know. Nobody cares about anybody else's fantasy team. Two, do you think Miles will end up playing basketball or football? He is a massive uh, human already at this early age, so I had to ask. I think I could see him playing basketball. Uh, Mom and I don't want him playing football. Three, what's most likely the Lakers doing a splash trade ham getting fired or both that's a great question three and i freaking i meant to ask this or I, I i meant to ask around with this question specifically so i'll come back to that um for next week's episodes in my opinion it is more likely that the lakers make a roster change before they make a coaching change but what I will say as a disclaimer there is that it is a lot more likely now that the Lakers make a coaching change at all. If you would have asked me two weeks ago about the likelihood that Darvin Ham would get fired this season, midseason, I would have told you 0%. Especially maybe even a, a like coming off of the in-season tournament win, I would have told you this guy's bulletproof. Absolutely. You guys remember how excited I was about that team. They were playing swarming defense. They were suffocating teams. I compared them to Komodo dragons. Um, this team looked great and and it looked like Darwin was kind of finding his footing as a head coach. Now, fast forward, however long it's been since then, a couple few weeks, whatever. And now I would say that percentage chance that Darwin ham gets fired or that they make any kind of a coaching change at all is quite a bit higher than zero. <laughs> uh, and, and, and take that for what you will. But I do plan on asking around. I do plan on asking that question to see what's up. But I, you know, I, again, I cannot, I can't stress this enough. His seat is noticeably warmer right now. And frankly, it should be next question here from George Santiago or George Santiago. What is the fair ask for LeBron in game for year 21? I feel like Ham, after the in-season tournament, has shuffled the rotations and scheme to load manage LeBron, but gave other players inconsistent playing times. Well, that's the thing, right? Like, 
I've always thought, you know, and, and, and like the Lakers, while LeBron has been there, and maybe for most of LeBron's career, the various organizations have carried out his wishes on this front. But LeBron seems to think that the best way to load manage for himself is to get somebody next to him out there on the court who can create for himself and the rest of the team and allow LeBron to take a couple possessions off here and there, right? LeBron has said that he feels more comfortable playing longer minutes, but playing less hard during those minutes, right? Um, and, you know, I kind of get it. Uh, from this perspective, I am old. When I am, like, up and running and stuff like that, I can I can carry enough momentum that I can still be productive for a, a little while. Now, if you ask me, though, to be active and then stop and then get active again, that's where you run into problems. So I kind of get it from LeBron's standpoint. And he would rather continue like staying in motion and, and, and stay out there on the court and maybe play a higher number of minutes, but make those minutes a little less intense. All right. That said, to me, the way that you make LeBron's minutes easier are on the defensive side and are in terms of spacing and, and stuff like that. So like when LeBron does drive to the basket, he doesn't have to go through two or three people to get there. He doesn't have to finish over around or through two or three people at the rim. That to me is how I would personally make life easier on LeBron. Um, now, if you could find a point guard and this is what he had with Kyrie, if you could find a point guard, who can create for himself and also uh, fit next to LeBron as a catch and shoot threat, then that is ideal offensively. You would like Kyrie to maybe be a little bit better defensively, though I think he's a little underrated. Um, the defense he was playing on that, on that Cavaliers team when they won the championship, that defense I think became a little underrated. Um, but that, that is what basically LeBron has been trying to replicate over the course of his career. He had it in Dwayne Wade right where Dwayne could create for himself and was so good defensively that that allowed that team to get out and run often enough that some of the offensive deficiencies between those two in terms of spacing didn't matter as much because they were scoring on you and you overwhelming and suffocating you defensively and, and just, you know, just were a, an, an ender of worlds by, by uh, playing that way. So, yeah, I would say, uh, you know, for me, are they what's a fair ask for LeBron? I, I thought we saw it. <laughs> I really did. I thought we saw it in that in-season tournament where uh, the Lakers were playing suffocating defense. They had a you know, they had a, de a a smart number of wing players out there. They had a creator out there next to him almost at all times. Um, they had rim protection, and they essentially allowed LeBron to play that free safety spot. And or that linebacker spot, and just kind of stand there in the middle of your, um, in the middle of the defense, and 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 kind of rest there, explode when he has to, explode into the into the passing lane when he has to, and then get out and transition and score there. But just mostly kind of chill in the middle of your defense with Anthony Davis there is kind of your strong safety, and you have these two giant genius presences in the middle of your defense while the rest of the defense is on a string around them. That, to me, was a perfectly fine equation for making life easier on LeBron because that allows you to get out and transition. Scoring there gets easier there. 
it made you play have to play fewer clutch minutes where those are the minutes that are really tough on LeBron because he has a ball ton in his hands and he has to defend on the other end. Uh, so th- that to me was was the equation. That's why I was so annoyed when the Lakers went away from it. Uh, Jason Kelly writes, uh, if you could go back in time, would you rather have a w- would you rather have not re-signed D'Lo at all and just kept Malik and Mobamba? You could have done all three things. Like to me, if now it's tough. This is going to feel like it's cheating because we know the outcome here. But to me. The Gabe signing was always an interesting one to me, especially after you you drafted Jalen Hood Shafino. Um, Shafino needs the ball in his hands, and you knew that you were bringing back Austin. And Austin was, I thought, the best way to move forward in this in this season was going to essentially treat Austin as your point guard, and then sign like shooting guards around him. So had the Lakers essentially used their, or you don't sign Torian Prince, right? essentially what what I, you know, you basically have to choose <laughs> kind of um, in a, in a way, excuse me, between Torian and Gabe to avoid being hard capped. When I saw that the Lakers hard capped themselves for a role player, that signaled to me that I, I that made me nervous. I didn't like that. You don't, I, you don't want to hard cap yourself for a role player. If you're going to, if you're going to sign and trade for a star, and that hard caps you, okay. But if you're going to hard cap yourself through signing a role player to the, I think it was the um, the smaller exception that they used on Prince, I would not have done that personally. And uh, when they when they hard capped themselves, that made it basically impossible to keep Malik and Mobamba. And again, this is kind of revisionist history here. Um, where the uh, you know Malik has played so well for the Bucks, he's going on Chris Haynes' podcast today, um, or went on it already. Uh, it, it makes it more you know, it makes me look smarter. I it w- I wouldn't have kept Malik around for what he brought on the basketball court. I would have kept him around for his expiring money. Um, same goes for Mobamba. I would have re-signed Lonnie Walker for that very same reason, and I would have kept as much. Um, you know, expiring money on my books as I could, uh, especially that wasn't tied to my rotation because that makes it easier to make an impactful trade. If the Lakers were to make a trade right now, they would have to move a part of their rotation. So anytime you're moving a part of your rotation, you have to then make up for that production and hope that that player is, is what you need in, in making that trade in the first place. And, uh, you know, the, the situation like the, um, like the Oklahoma City Thunder find themselves. It's perfect. You have a ton of draft assets and you have Davis Berton's uh, expiring contract. That means you could just add to your talent pool. Um, what the, what the, um, there's another, oh, the Knicks have Evan uh, Fournier's expiring contract and they have picks there. So they could just add to their talent pool that way. But for the Lakers, there is no real realistic way to do that. And and that makes me a little nervous. And that made me a little nervous coming into their season. Um, All right. So let's go uh, and look at the questions from in here. A lot. (laughs) Uh, Anthony from Lane. Anthony, will you be on Lakers playback tonight? The plan is to do that. If my voice holds up, which it so far has. 
Uh, my plan is to go on there because I wasn't on it earlier this week. Um, Rahul Rampa writes, uh, Anthony, thoughts on Doc Rivers coming to, the, to coach the Lakers? Man. So this is funny. I think it's a slight upgrade. And the reason I think it's a slight upgrade isn't necessarily a basketball-specific reason. Um, it's because I think it would get LeBron more bought into this season. LeBron, from what I can see and from how well I can tell, is pretty much out on, on Darwin right now. And it's really difficult for a coach to gain that trust back. And that game against Miami, I mean, clearly, he didn't talk to the, the press afterward, but that felt like a breaking point. Miami ran like 36 minutes or 31 minutes of zone. Stu Lance said that was the most zone he has ever seen a team play uh, in a professional game. And the reason that Miami ran that much zone is because the Lakers were never able to adjust to get them out of that zone. Why would they come out of it? And, and so for a LeBron team and for LeBron to have that hyper processor in his brain and know how to beat that zone, right? It's Eric Spolstra. Like he he knows he's seen that zone in in uh in effect before. He's beaten that zone in, in, in the finals. He had seen that zone when he was there with Eric Spolstra in Miami. He has experienced that zone. He now he knows how to break it, but the Lakers weren't able to adjust to it. And that to me was kind of the moment that LeBron was just like, All right, I'm done with this guy. And, and, uh, to me, like, that's why I'm in favor of, of firing Darvin and making Phil Handy the interim. And that's why I would be in favor of making Doc Rivers the head coach. I think those two guys are, are, you know, basically the only people who LeBron would buy fully back into, and especially Handy would buy fully back into to, to, to recommit to turning this thing around. And to me, that's how you save this stuff is, is getting LeBron to buy in. Uh, Lane Anthony seems more happy and cheerful given the Darwin news. I, I don't know. I no, I'm not. It's, this has been really stressful. I've been sick. I don't think it, I don't think it's a coincidence that I've been sick for two weeks as I've been doing all of this report reporting. Reporting is stressful, man. Like this shit sucks. <laughs> um, all right. LeBron Stan writes, would you trade salary filler for Levine? The problem is your salary filler are productive players in your, in your rotation. It would be D'Angelo Russell and Rui Hachimura. And I don't know. I don't like trading wings for guards, <laughs> like kind of period. And, uh, and if you don't do that, then you have to attach like three or four players. And then you run into car hard cap issues there as you refill your roster after making all of those trades. Um, I saw Jake Fisher wrote today for Yahoo Sports that the Lakers are still, he wrote the, the line, most sensible uh, landing spot for Zach Levine. And, you know, I would say that's because somebody has to be the most sensible landing spot for Levine. I'm still told the Lakers aren't interested. He wrote that the Lakers don't want to take on that money. I'm still told that that is not something that they are interested in doing. And I kind of agree with it. I, If Levine was making like half as much, totally fine. Cool. If his contract was for like two fewer years, awesome, fine, whatever. It'll suck in the short term, but you know, maybe, maybe like having that contract ending, you know, right there on the horizon would make 
Levine rethink the way that he approaches basketball. But as it stands right now, the Lakers, and by the way, the rest of the league, is looking at that like, no, I, I don't want anything to do with that. Um, all right. Uh, Jace does things. What made you leave Locked On Lakers? I got an offer to work full time, you know, uh, at that, you know, at Locked On Lakers. I was a contract worker and uh, that didn't come with benefits. I was expecting my first kid and I wanted medical uh, benefits. So I had that with Vox and unfortunately it, it didn't work out. But I, I don't have any hard feelings towards anybody there at Locked On. It's really cool what they've been able to build. And I'm really proud to have played a pretty big part in building that thing as, as it was growing. Um, all right. What oh, here you go. What do you think of Malcolm? What do you think about a Malcolm Brogdon trade? I like it. His injury issue history makes me nervous. His contract is a lot more workable, so it could basically be a one-for-one swap with D'Angelo Russell, you can play him next to Austin and next to LeBron. So I, I, I've always loved Malcolm Brogdon's game. Always. It's just a matter of his injury stuff. And um, now the one thing I will say about Brogdon is there's going to be a lot of interest in him at the deadline. And the Lakers draft pick situation makes that complicated. I don't know. I don't think he's worth the first round draft pick personally. Um, I think he's the kind of guy who will go for a whole bunch of second rounders and maybe like a, a first round pick swap or something like that. But, um, oh man, I, I would totally love a, a Malcolm Brogdon trade. I also though, I don't think Portland and the Lakers have ever pulled off a trade together. And, um, no, it is different ownership. It's different people, um, running things up there, but yeah, that is, uh, that is something to, that I think you have to take into account. Uh, does Phil Handy uh, bring anything on the X's and O's front? I think, so it's kind of weird. I think he simplifies the game. I've made this comparison in the past to uh, Bernie Bickerstaff when he took over for Mike Brown during that Dwight Mary year. I think the Lakers went 5 or 6-0 and o during that time. And, and Bernie Bickerstaff was just like, I'm just going to give the ball to the guys who are really good at basketball and let them be really good at basketball. And I think there's obviously a ceiling on that. I think eventually the Lakers would have to, like if they committed to Phil Handy as the head coach, you have to bring in like a Terry Stotts or somebody like that to uh, help with the X's and O's. But um, to me, it, it would it, it would signal kind of an olive branch to a locker room that is pretty frustrated right now. Uh, everybody loves Phil Handy. He is one of, like, I'm not kidding. When I talk to people around the league about the job that Phil Handy does in his role, there is almost nobody. And I might have to remove that almost, that disclaimer. Um, there is nobody who is more respected at his craft league-wide than Phil Handy. And now whether that would translate to being a good head coach is obviously a very fair question. And I do think part of the math here is that if the Lakers do hire Phil Handy, it would be kind of offering some power back to LeBron and clutch. And I know that there, that's always a weird situation going on there, but I, you know, in terms of the X's and O's, I like the idea of Phil Handley just, Handy, 
Bill Handy just simplifying things. And, and that to me would be the value of, of bringing him in. Uh, hey, Anthony, hypothetically speaking, if the Lakers do fire him, who would you want them to replace him? Like I said, uh, I would say Phil Handy. Uh, Jay, where do you work now? It's right there, right? Right there. It, Odyssey. That is where I'm at. Uh, I'm doing some production stuff. I'll be doing, I'll be increasing my production uh, stuff and responsibilities there over time. But yeah, that is where that they are hosting the show and I'm thrilled about the move. Uh, in this year's West, you simply, this is from uh, God King, Tony Clifton, shouts to the super comment. Uh, in this year's West, you simply can't afford to go on losing streaks. Why hasn't he already, why wasn't he already on the hot seat when he lost four in a row or even three in a row? The Lakers front office loves this dude. Like Jeannie Buss has sung his praises. Rob Polinka, you know, basically tied himself contractually to Darvin Ham. Um, the front office really likes uh, not just Darvin the person. And by the way, it makes sense. Darvin the person seems like a perfectly nice human being. Um, bit of an ego, uh, but I, I think that comes with the territory with all NBA head coaches and frankly, all coaches. Um, but like the, the Lakers have tried to do whatever they can to avoid this specific situation because they do not want to fire him um you know for personal reasons and 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 for professional reasons and and i think that is what's kind of gone on, gone into the this extending to this point but i will say though um it has taken a month's worth of frustrations to even get here that's why i'm still pretty skeptical that that ham actually does get fired um Let's see. We played without D'Lo and Rui on Wednesday. Our two main trade block guys. You think if Levine was there, we would have won? Or is Darvin that bad? I, I guess Levine would have helped with some of the scoring. The Lakers' offense was so constipated. Um, the nice thing about being a point guard against a 2-3 zone is, so essentially, like, the, the guys at the top of the screen up there, right, They have to they have to go back and forth a bunch at the top of the zone. And so when, you know, as you're, if you're a point guard up here in the middle of these two spots, and as that ball swings over here and they move over here, when the ball swings back to you, you're always going to have a hot second to be able to, to have a defense that is off balance in that spot. Right. And so you can either attack that way. You could rotate the ball over there or in Levine's case, because of how quick of his release is and because of um, how high he jumps on his shot, when that ball rotates back over from the wing to the top of the key there, Levine will have an opportunity or would have an opportunity to hit in ways that other guys on this roster do not. Um, he also has more confidence than the other guys on this roster and and has a greener light, so that would have kind of altered the way that, that things would have looked against the zone. So maybe... I, I the other thing, too, I do think whenever D'Angelo Russell gets traded, you are going to see, and, and I'm not saying this is because of D'Angelo Russell specifically, um, but remember when Russell Westbrook traded, how everything just felt a little bit lighter? This is different in that, like, I think Russell was a little less popular, a presence in the locker room than, than D'Angelo Russell is right now. 
So it's not quite apples to apples, but this like the 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 possibility of a trade, the potential for a trade has been hanging over this locker room for long enough that if and when a trade finally happens, I do think there will be some collective relief there and some excitement, a bit of a shot in the arm. And so maybe with that extra engagement, Levine would help there as well. So look, it's like Austin and AD said, though, the Lakers had more than enough talent to win that game on their own. And that to me is more of an indictment on ham than the hypothetical of what the Lakers would have done with different player X there available. Uh, did Darwin sit Delo because he basically said defense isn't my thing. It's extra. It's, I think it's a fair question. It was a weird quote that did not sit well with people um, on the coaching staff and in the organization. Like that was not, that pissed some people off. You know, the idea that like everybody else is being Austin goes from starting to the bench. You have Rui's role fluctuating all over the place. Cam Reddish is being asked to do things that he hasn't done over the course of his career consistently. Um, AD is playing center. Like your star, your star, frankly, like, you know, no matter how you feel about the Lakers, he's either your best or second best player. He's playing a position that he doesn't love playing. He would prefer to play center. So when your star is sacrificing like this and this other dude who you're looking to trade anyway is saying something like that, uh, it wouldn't surprise me if that was kind of the final nail in the coffin that made the coaching staff go like, all right, man, screw this guy. And and now what they did after that was, was head scratching as well, but that did not sit well with people. Uh, let's see. Thoughts on Kelly Olinick and Simone Fontecchio as Depp adds at the deadline. Fontecchio has always killed the Lakers, but I do like the idea of Olinick, a physical big who can spread the floor. Um, now, he would be a trade target. I don't think he's going to get bought out, but um, I like that idea. I like the idea. The other thing, too, with Olinick and uh, the Lakers need somebody on their roster who plays who the other team is always a little nervous that that player is going to do something dirty, right? And so, like, last night in that game between the Warriors and the Nuggets, Jokic throws his elbows up in, in the kind of vicinity of um, pods. And there's the viral clip of Kerr going, like, come on, man, you know? And I I honestly think part of why Kerr had that um, – had that reaction is because Jokic has the reputation around the league of a dirty player. He has in the past lashed out and thrown uh, an extra elbow or an extra fist or an extra physical screen or body bump or something like that, that teams and players are always a little nervous about. And I think with Olenek, the Lakers would benefit from having somebody who at every given moment, at every at any given moment, the other team is kind of looking over their shoulder at like, man, we saw what that guy did to Kevin Love's shoulder. And I'm not saying that's cool. I don't like dirty play. It's not great, but there is value to having that kind of physical presence. The Lakers have missed it since they, since Dwight stopped playing well, um, you know, they, they Dwight having that and, and being able to do that freely because if he went into foul trouble, it didn't matter. AD would just slide over to the center spot and the Lakers were just fine. So Dwight brought that boogie brought that um, Markeith Morris brought that 
And like the Lakers on that team were kind of, you know, they, 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 they bordered on dirty in some stretches. And I, I do think there's value in having that fear in your opponent in ways that I don't think opponents fear that with the Lakers right now. Um, no, I, LeBron isn't Phil Handy's boss. LeBron is just a huge proponent of Phil Handy. And I think that's always good to have in that's God King, uh, Tony Clifton. Um, LeBron feels strongly that Phil Handy is great at his job and, and, you know, it does always matter uh, if, if, you know, you have the right allies on your side. Um, all right. So last, last question here before my voice goes out. Uh, this is from TKB 24 rock MUT rank these teams in terms uh, rank these in terms of what do you think the Lakers will prioritize at the deadline shooting rim, rim pressure defense and a backup big. I would go, man, shooting, then rim pressure, then backup big, then defense. The Lakers have defender on their defenders on their team. They, uh, there's no reason the Lakers should be as inept as they sometimes look defensively. Jason Timp, right friend of the show, who does great work for the volume, made the point the other day that like the Lakers are actually quite good in uh, the clutch, both offensively and defensively, and they are terrible at the beginning of games. That's an engagement thing. And that I thought was a great point there. And so like, if you try to address the defense here, you're letting some of these guys off of the hook who should be defending better on their own. The backup big thing is kind of interesting because I think they want to see um, Christian Wood get a little bit more run. Uh, and and uh, they like the way that he has played recently. And let's see, shooting is obvious, right? They're a terrible shooting team. They need more volume shooters on their team. I think they were hoping that Austin would shoot more threes this year and uh that hasn't obviously played out they were hopefully you know torian prince has i i think he's he's obviously shot better recently they need him to shoot better at home um and and i think that would be that would be a big help but d'angelo russell's shot has has not been what they thought it would be coming into the season and um and lebron has even i think regressed a little bit from deep so they do need shooting. They do need spacing. Um, you knew that Rui was going to regress, right? Because in the playoffs, he shot like 50% from three. You knew he wasn't going to be that. Um, and he's a little bit more inconsistent than they were hoping he would be as well. The Lakers need a volume shooter. And, you know, the nice thing, the one thing I will say about Zach Levine, contract notwithstanding, is he's a volume shooter, a good volume shooter, an off-the-dribble shooter, and he applies rim pressure. So offensively, he checks a lot of boxes. The problem is defensively, he almost doesn't check any of them. And maybe the Lakers have enough defense behind him to make up for that, but it's kind of difficult to have somebody on your team that the opposing team knows night in, night out, they can attack. And especially in clutch moments, um, they know that they can attack. So if they, and again, I don't think they are going to, but if they brought in, Zach Levine, it would be with the understanding going into it. They would have a conversation with him and they would say, 
hey, if we're going to pay you like this, this is what we're expecting. And we can't have, as an example, a quote like D'Angelo Russell gave where he's like, well, I don't do this, right? Zach, you are making 40, almost 50 million bucks a year. You got to do everything that your body allows you to do, period. And, uh, and, we'll, and, and, and you know, we'll kind of carry out from there. So uh, I, I do think they do need more rim pressure. They do need a defense piercer. They don't have one on their roster right now. They have guys who can pierce the defense through pick and rolls, but I think there is value in having somebody who can do it on their own. That's why they're kind of missing uh, Dennis Schroeder, and um, Levine can do that. Offensively, the fit is great. The problem is there's a whole other side of the court. All right, uh, that is going to do it here for this episode of the Lakers Lounge here on the Happy Hour. I am happy to announce that the feed is on odyssey now and it is going out to everywhere that you get podcasts obviously i'm biased and would prefer that you get your podcast through odyssey now the other announcement that i have to make you saw it on the feed today um it is the introduction of appetizers and for those of you who saw happy feet i am still a, a pixar universal dad <laughs> at heart uh but there's a scene there where they're the where the little penguins are getting flipped around by the orcas and the guy's like, oh, no, we're appetizers. And they're like, oh, we're teasing us. And he's like, oh, we're appetizers. And and um, I just, that cracks me up every single time. And so I am borrowing that term from them uh, to basically grab clips uh, in the way that you would see me throw on social media and put them onto the feed so that if you just want that topic or if you just want that segment, it is there for you um, to, to to listen in, uh, in in that way as well. So. If you want the big, long conversations, cool. Those are always going to be there. But if you want, you know, kind of shorter tidbits or, or you just want to listen based off of subject, that is something we are now going to be offering on the feed um, moving forward as well. And on YouTube, because I'll be clipping it anyway there as well. So, um, yeah, those are the big announcements there. That is going to do it for this this week on this show. But the plan right now is tonight to go live and uh, and watch with the guys there on All Access Lakers. Um, and, and I hope you guys tune in there. Playback.tv slash All Access Lakers is where you can make an account and watch with us there. So until then, and until the next time you guys hear from me, I'm Anthony Irwin saying have a great rest of your week. Make somebody else's, and I will talk to you on Monday.